0: Hello, and welcome to Humanities Matter, brought to you by Brill. I am Emily Tampkin, and this week we will be looking at key issues in the field of humanities. I am speaking today with Professor Jurg Kinzig. Uh, Professor Kinzig is, in, is the director of the Institute for Criminology at the University of Tübingen, and he is, along with Peter Kurlman, the author of the piece, The Acquittal, After Pretrial Detention, A rare but fascinating phenomenon of the criminal justice system. It's published in the European Journal of Crime, Criminal Law and Criminal Justice. Professor Kinzig, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with me today. Yes, hello. So let's just get right into it. Um, Your article deals specifically with what you call second-class acquittals. Could you define what you mean for our listeners?
1: Yes, well, according to the German Code of Criminal Law, Mm -hmm. an accused person can either be found guilty and receive a sentence, or the accused person can be acquitted. In the case of an acquittal, the judge then proclaims the accused acquitted of the charges. However, as we have seen, acquittals may differ in quality. The court may acquit the accused based on the fact that he or she had an airtight alibi for the time of the crime.
0: Mm -hmm. Let
1: me give you another example. Yeah. The court may also acquit the accused because because it is sure that eyewitnesses misidentified the accused due to a close resemblance to the actual perpetrator. Such Mm. acquittals which are based on the actual innocence of the accused are what we call first-class acquittals. In our research, however, we found these first-class acquittals in only 5% of the cases we analyzed. Hence, they are pretty rare. Okay. And the so-called second-class acquittals are much more common in Germany. Second-class acquittals are acquittals on the basis of the universal principle of indubio pro reo, meaning when in doubt, then for the accused. In such cases, the court must interpret doubts in the assessment of the evidence in favor of the accused, as it cannot be proven beyond a reasonable doubt that the accused committed the crime in question. Second-class acquittals are therefore problematic to a certain degree because the acquitted person will have to live with the stigma of being acquitted supposedly only because the evidence was not convincing enough for a conviction. Contrary to the US court system, acquittals in German courts have to be profoundly substantiated by the court. Mm -hmm. As a prime example, to illustrate a second-class acquittal in the German sense, One can think of the famous and widely publicized O.J. Simpson murder trial. We all know that Simpson was eventually acquitted of the murder charges. However, even after his acquittal, many people were still convinced that Simpson was guilty of murdering his ex-wife
0: and her friend. So, just listening to you talk and having read your paper, it's clear that you see the acquittal as kind of a, a particular phenomenon in German law. And so I was wondering how you came to see it as deserving of special attention. And also you write that it's quote unquote shady. Um, and I was hoping that you could tell us a bit about what you mean by that.
1: Yeah, in our paper we talk about the acquittal as a shady existence in German criminal law and also in criminological research. We wanted to express that up until now, research on acquittals, in Germany at least, is very rarely undertaken and we aimed to change that with our research project. For example, it is possible that someone gets arrested has to spend a couple of months in pretrial detention only to be eventually acquitted of the charges at the end of the trial. In fact, in Germany, this happens to roughly 300 people every year. But in order to be put in pretrial detention, one has to be strongly suspected of having committed the crime in question. Therefore, we wanted to find out how it is possible that someone is first strongly suspected of having committed the crime, only to be eventually acquitted at the end of the trial due to Mm -hmm. the evidence not being strong enough for a conviction. So one of our research questions was, are there cases in which such a procedure is likely to occur? And based on our research, we now know that acquittals after pretrial detention are especially common in cases involving some form of sexual violence or rape. This has to do with the lack of hard evidence as such cases are most often solely dependent on the testimony of the accused and the supposed victim. A recent example for this is the Harvey Weinstein trial. While he was convicted on felony sex crime and rape, he was at the same time acquitted of the charges of predatory sexual assault, as the jury apparently did not believe the testimony of the actress who accused Weinstein of sexually assaulting her.
0: So let's, I mean, following up on that, you also write about this idea that an acquittal is an error correction, but really digging down or making it explicit in your research, was that what an acquittal turned out to be, right? I think according to your research is an acquittal error correction.
1: Yes. One of the goals of our research project was the description of the acquittal as a phenomenon and its potential for errors. An error in this context can lead to innocent people being held in pretrial detention and having to deal with extensive court trials before being acquitted. Actually, we found formal or procedural errors made by judicial authorities in only 5% of all the court cases that eventually ended with an acquittal. Formal or procedural errors, such as the accused not being read their rights, did not play a significant role in the cases that we analyzed. This fits well with the results from the interviews that we conducted with, with judges and prosecutors. Instead of seeing acquittals as errors or failings of the criminal justice system, our interviewees argued that acquittals are proof of a well-functioning criminal justice system in Germany. In Mm. fact, in cases in which the accused remains in pretrial detention, the prosecutors investigate the cases even more thoroughly. The probability of error is fairly low, according to our interviewees. Additionally, there is a relatively high threshold that has to be met in order for pretrial detention to be granted at all. The aim is to prevent the random or unjustified implementation of pretrial detention. While such errors were relatively rare in all the cases we analyzed, the interviewees brought other potential errors to our attention. According to their experience, problems include the question of trustworthiness of statements made by victims and witnesses while on the stand, and the difficult decision-making process in he-said or she-said constellations. He-said, she-said constellations are especially common in cases involving any form of sexual violence, and the interviewees name this as the main reason for the high number of acquittals in such cases.
0: Your work is so, um, so relevant and so significant, and, and you know the cases that you've been talking about today clearly continue to have not just a relevance, but, it, but an urgency in societies around the world, even though you lo- you're looking at the, the German system. So I was wondering if you could speak a bit about where you would like to see this research go, either where you yourself would like to take it or, or where you think it should be taken next by your peers.
1: Yeah, actually, we are still conducting research on phenomena that are somehow related to acquittals. On the one hand, a dissertation on miscarriages of justice was recently completed at our institute. While the actual amount of miscarriages of justice in our German court system remains unclear, we are sure they do exist. Interesting though, there appears to be no real desire to study the reasons why these happen. But that probably has to do with the fact that we, as lawyers, not only like to be right, but in law school we are also trained to be right. Miscarriages of justice make us realize that we can't be right all the time. (laughs) On the other hand, our institute is part of a German-wide collaboration project that is currently conducting research on the German equivalent of plea bargaining in criminal cases. For a couple of years now, the so-called Verständigung im Strafverfahren, plea bargaining in criminal cases, is regulated by law in Germany. So while this law allows for a plea bargaining in the form that the accused receives a more lenient sentence in exchange for a confession, it prohibits prosecutors and also courts from making guarantees on the exact length of the sentence, for example, five years. In our project, we are currently trying to find out whether all parties involved act according to this law or whether they still agree to and guarantee specific sentences of the books, so to speak. The results from this research, which is funded by the German Federal Ministry of Justice, could potentially lead to a modification of the current specifications of the Verständigungsgesetz, the law on plea bargaining in the German court system
0: fascinating and, again, no shortage of real-world implications. Um, I've been speaking with Professor Dr. Jörg Kinzig. He is the director of the Institute for Criminology at the University of Tubingen. And we've been speaking about the piece that he co-wrote with Peter Kurlman. It's in the European Journal of Crime, Criminal Law, and Criminal Justice. And it is called The Acquittal After Pretrial Detention, A Rare but Fascinating Phenomenon of the Criminal Justice System. Again, Professor Kinzig, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: You can now find the Humanities Matter podcast by Brill on Spotify, Apple, or Google. That was my last episode as the host of uh, Humanities Matter by Brill. I have learned so much over the past few months by, by speaking to the authors of these various publications. We learned about girls' education in the Ottoman period and about um, the ethics of dog breeding, and about who the who was really the subject of a photograph that was thought to be Vincent Van Gogh for a long time. But spoiler, it was not. Um, and I will I will miss doing this. Um, Lee, do you want to tell our listeners in whose excellent hands the podcast will be? Yeah. Uh, thanks very much, Emily. I'm really excited to hear what's next for Brill. Um, So I'm a freelance journalist based in DC. Um, I've covered uh, politics and culture and defense. Uh, So I'm really excited to talk to more researchers and more professors um, and hopefully, you know, find out something that's interesting as uh, who's in that photograph. I'll have to go back and listen to past recordings now to find that. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the thing that I've, really appreciated doing about this podcast is that we go about our lives and we write and, you know, you, know, you and I in journalism, you go about your, your day, you write these pieces, you get your bylines out, you you stay atop of the day's news, and it can be very easy to um, to lose sight of the threads that that hold all of it together and that hold all of us together and at the risk of seeming over, overly dramatic or cheesy or too earnest, um, in my opinion, those are the humanities. So, it's been a real privilege to spend some time with our guests and our listeners, um, discussing the humanities and taking a moment to appreciate why they matter. And I hope that, um, or I know that you will appreciate it just as much as I have. I hope so too. Thanks so much, Emily. Thank you.